Welcome back to the Kenny and Anthony podcast. Just asking to ship boy Kenny, Kyle Ken. And Anthony, what is good, everybody? What's good, Ken? What's good, brother? So uh, we were just talking about your trip around the country, yeah. which is pretty exciting. Uh, you went with your partner, Shannon, and you guys had a fucking blast. You guys drove countless fucking hours, which is something that I would never be able to do. I could barely drive upstate for two and a half <laughs> hours. Um, tell me more about that, man. Talk to us. Yeah, man. I mean, we were, it was kind of spontaneous. We actually made the decision for the trip about 48 hours before we took off. Um, it's my 30th birthday. So I turned 30 on June 5th, RIP to my twenties. Um, <laughs> but excited, really excited for this. Um, but we were supposed to go to Berlin and Amsterdam and with everything going on with coronavirus. It just obviously didn't work out travel being restricted and, mm-hmm. and everything. And we were really trying to think like, well, what can we do? And it was May, like May 5th, May 6th. And I said, well, I just want to travel for 30 days. You know, pretty much everywhere around the country was opening up. All of our family had asked how we were doing. We didn't get to see anybody for the holidays. And I was like, well, you know, I've always wanted to go out to Colorado. Always wanted to see the mountains and go out west. And I said, why don't we just plan a 30-day trip and travel for 30 days for my 30th birthday? So we booked a rental car and we left two days later. And um, it was, it was 75 hours of drive time from day one to getting back to New York City. Um, we went 5,000 miles, it's like nine states, um, and stayed with family and friends along the way. We Airbnb'd, we camped a little bit. I mean, it was the full experience, man. I mean, it was it was incredible, and it was really nice to kind of get out, especially after 60 days of being quarantined at home. Um, you know, we wanted to make sure we did it smart and safe, so you know, we didn't go anywhere for two weeks prior to leaving, made sure we quarantined, and then as we went around, you know, pretty much everything was opening up as we were, we were right. going around, so everywhere that we got, you know, People were already going to stores. They're going out to eat. So, you know, we didn't feel like we were, we were bringing New York or any danger with us. And, and luckily we made it back, no issues. And, um, and it was a beautiful trip, man. It was, it was everything you could want it to be, I think. That's awesome, man. So it's like uh, June 17th and New York is barely fully open. And you've had this experience where you got to go all around the country from New York, PA, all the way down south to Houston, wrapped back around and then hit the Midwest to visit family. Um, Thank you, motorcycle. And, uh, you know, tell us a little bit more about like what you saw and like kind of, you know, the the difference between, you know, what we were experiencing here in New York, because the media was telling this big story about what was happening in New York and people across the country were just like, shit, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in New York yet. You know, we're just fine here. And you went around the country and kind of experienced what they were going through. You know, what did that feel like, man? Yeah, I mean, it's just really interesting coming from like the quote unquote epicenter, right? Where we were losing 800 people a day at one point to these places that hadn't even seen 150 deaths. So as you kind of traveled around, you know, my mom lives in pretty rural North Carolina, if you will, with um, her husband and my brother. And, you know, to them, the whole thing is just kind of like a joke. They're just like, oh, we can't wait for this to be over. We're so glad, you know, by the time we got there, like the beginning of May, they were already in phase one or phase two opening up. And like, this whole thing is ridiculous, you know, complaining about the economy to them. It just didn't even really seem very real. You know, obviously it is real. No one said it was fake, but it just kind of seemed like we were overreacting, right? Where you look at New York and you're like, holy shit, 800 people a day, like, oh, it makes sense. But then as you get around, you know, places like Houston and they're like, yeah, you know, we barely felt it. You know, you get out to Colorado and it's pretty locked down, but you know, the citizens out there are just kind of like, yeah, we're just ready for everything to open back up. Then you get to Ohio where we got there and I mean, almost everything was fully open. Iowa as well. You know, we went to see um, my girlfriend's mom in Iowa and 
you know, I was in a TJ Maxx walking around, nobody had masks on. I mean, it was, it was a whole thing, you know, so it's very interesting. You know, it always seems to be, we react based on what we're going through personally, yeah. you know, and you can kind of see collectively what people had gone through throughout this because people were just kind of fed up yeah. ready for it to be over or to them. They were just like, Oh, this whole thing is bullshit. You know, go to Ohio. My dad's like, yeah, I've worked every day. Like, I don't know anyone who contracted this, you know, and it's, you know, not downplaying anyone else's experience, but it just seems yeah. to be we we tend to to grade life based on what we see and what's in our own personal circle, our own personal sphere of influence and perspective. And um mm-hmm. very different. You know, and then we get back to New York and it was everything still locked down, right? Yeah. We're just now in phase one and we're just now coming out of it. And there's still a lot of caution and a lot of masks and it's just, just very interesting, you know, to, to see how people react based on their own personal experience. For it's, sure. that, that's so interesting because something that came up for me during this quarantine was that, you know, we can live in this very vast world, which is so complex in itself. But we all live in this microcosm of perspective and understanding, and we all experience everything so differently. But it's so difficult to come out of that microcosm sometimes and kind of look at it from like a global view or kind of like a third person point of view. And so, you know, something like this experience could really scare the shit out of somebody. And so when you add fear to something, it just kind of convolutes your perspective a little bit. And so I do feel like a lot of people's perception of what is happening is a bit of fear and confusion and not knowing what's going on. And I can tell you that at the start of this, that was the case for me, especially, you know, being concerned about how we're going to make a living. Right. Mm -hmm. And so with all of those fears and all of the confusion, one doesn't really know how to predict the next few days or even the next few weeks. But within that, there becomes this kind of forcing of the hand of getting into the moment because you stop thinking about tomorrow. You stop thinking about next week because that's honestly out of your control. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of forces you into this this now, right? This like now moment. And so I think it was a valuable lesson because now I look at life, especially because of you know those those big fears, you know, especially having a family, which is how am I going to make money? How am I going to support my family? You know, what does tomorrow look like? Am I able to pay the rent? And all of those things just being completely extinguished and dealt with so easily, I think that that removed all of those underlying fears, at least for me, and allowed me to kind of sink into the moment and analyze things a lot deeper. So, you know, you obviously going around the country, experiencing so many different places. Um, You guys got to go to Colorado and camp and do all these incredible things. And I know you guys also continued your spiritual practice out there. What did that look like for you living in the moment? Like what did that, you know, expose about, you know, kind of your current existence and like where you're sitting at right now? No, of course, you know, this trip was meant to be a microcosm, you know, because me and my girlfriend want to move out of the country at one point and um, explore. We, we, you know, we know what we want to accomplish, but we're not super concerned with the how. We just know we want to start somewhere, kind of travel and see where we settle, right? And the idea for this trip, at least for me, was, okay, let's see what we do when we're given that kind of freedom and autonomy, right? We're not working right now. You know, nobody's really working. Uh, to just get in a car, you know, we had the dogs with us and really, I mean, that was really the only thing holding us back from any kind of normal life and it didn't even hold us back. I mean, the dogs climbed mountains with us, you know, in, in Colorado. So, it was, okay, what are we going to do with this freedom? And, and what are we going to experience along the way? We just leave it all behind. And, you know, I'll tell you the the one thing that probably stuck out in my mind the most, you know, kind of being on this spiritual journey and this journey of self-awareness, self-assessment, introspection, like really trying to understand 
the self, right? To help others understand themselves as well. And it, it really kind of goes back to the old adage, right? Like wherever you go, there you are. Mm-hmm. And we, we thought a lot of, you know, we very fortunate and very grateful to have, to have had a pretty easy quarantine. You know, we stayed home a lot. We were in the park. We were very productive. You know, I was writing. We were doing, you know, I was doing videos. Um, you know, we got Reiki certified. You know, Shannon's been pursuing other certifications. I mean, just really trying to be as productive as possible. But a lot of stress and anxiety just looming. You know, mm-hmm. you leave the apartment and you see a lot of... A lot of people very tense. You know, you walk down the street, you're getting yelled at because you don't have a mask on, or like you're just seeing and you can feel the fear. You know, mm-hmm. energy is very, very palpable mm-hmm. at times. So when we left the city, you start to see how much of it is you and how much of it is your environment, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're free out there, you're at the beach or you're in the mountains or you're camping and you still have shit coming up inside of you, you just start to realize how much of life we're carrying inside us, you know? So that was one thing that I, I learned definitely. We definitely came to reckon, came to a reckoning a couple times is just wherever you go, there you are. Mm-hmm. You know, we had very challenging days, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, we had, you know, some mushroom experiences and stuff that weren't mm-hmm. all sunshine and rainbows. You know, there was still a lot to process, a lot of trauma to work through, a lot of mm-hmm. internal pain, a lot of sadness that even though you're free out on the road, you're not working, you know, if you have money in the bank, like it can be all these things that we we pawn off as our stresses, quote unquote, right? Work and money and all this stuff. And really so much of it has to do with whatever is just going on with inside you. That's right. You know? And that definitely happened. You know, I would say of the 30 days, 25 of them were absolutely pure bliss, you know, but there were a solid five that were probably a lot of work. I mean, it was work the whole time, but days that just weren't all hunky-dory. It wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. I mean, there was, you know, arguments or internal sadness. There were tears. There were, you know, all kinds of things. And it just shows you how important it is sometimes to isolate yourself away from the distractions of what we call stress on the day-to-day or these things that we we blame and we use as a scapegoat for the way we're feeling. Just realize how much of it is us and the unresolved traumas and triggers and the pain inside of us and our insecurities and the things that we've grown with, right? And, you know, I always say that, that, you know, however old you are today is the oldest you've ever been. And you're the sum total of every day and every minute and every hour that you've lived in your life. And we don't realize that things are happening in every minute of our lives. And if you're 30 years old, that's 30 years of different minutes of things happening that impacted you, right? Mm -hmm. And we carry all of that with us. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't realize that. They think that, you know, pain just comes from whatever you're experiencing in the present moment. It's like, no, like we carry pain with us, you know, and even on the most blissful and freest if you will, of trips, it, it still resurfaces. It's really cool that, you know, you got to kind of isolate your emotions and kind of distill what life was for you guys and, and just really distill it down to two co- two dogs, a car and your girlfriend and wherever you were at the moment, which is awesome because I strongly feel that a lot of the times things like work and a person you don't like at work or somebody you just don't like or you know family issues or something like that are kind of vehicles for our emotions and sometimes we kind of externalize our emotions into a person or a thing and so we create these excuses for the way that we feel but we don't really distill it back down to like okay where is this actually coming from because nothing is that deep where or a person or a thing is that deep where it can make you feel kind of that that infinite anxiety or stress that people are feeling these days and I could tell you I was feeling that way you know obviously with you know working as much as I do and kind of busting my ass the last six years and then kind of blaming it on work it's like okay I'm tired of being tired um 
I'm stressed out, you know, work is this, work is that. And then, you know, you look at what we've been experiencing during this quarantine where you're just able to kind of be still and have a day at the park. And you could do that five days a week, six days a week, seven days a week. And yet, although you're not experiencing that work stress, for some reason, that angst is still there. That kind of externalizes itself into something else. So you start to really distill that emotion and go, hmm, where is this actually coming from? And, you know, it was it's interesting because personally, you know, during this quarantine, I've been keeping up with my meditation practice and really trying to distill these emotions and these thoughts down to like really the source. And one of the things that I found was, you know, when I was like nine years old, you know, I bugged out in school and, you know, I always bugged out in school, by the way, I was just like not the best kid, but I was going through a lot. You know what I mean? Like just, just so much at home. Oh yeah. And, you know, I'll spare you guys the stories for another podcast episode, but it was interesting because, you know, I had got, they put me in anger management to avoid, you know, starting a, a record for me. That's how bad my, my offense was at school. It's like nine or 10 actually. And so started this anger management and started to kind of, you know, feel this, this, this tense, dark anger coming from somewhere. And I remember where that was coming from. And so, you know, you remove all of the obstacles that, that, that we currently deal with, like work and those people that really just fucking annoy you or, you know, traffic, you know, traffic kills me, bro. But I can tell you that it's, it's just me not being able to sit in my car mm-hmm. by myself because of the way my mind will start churning. Yep. Right. So like you start to even distill it down to that's an opportunity to distill it down to like really that source, which is nine year old me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I really just kind of discovered a lot of where these emotions kind of are rooted from. And I've always said, if you understand something, you're above it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so now that I kind of understand where it's coming from, I can direct that because I can make the choice now. Now it's my choice to feel that way because I know where it's coming from as opposed to saying, okay, this is what's bothering me and I'm going to use this as a scapegoat. And it's something that I can't immediately overcome. So I don't have a choice against it as opposed to, okay, I know where this is coming from. I have the choice to continue feeling this way or not. Right. So that immediately allows you to kind of take control of your emotions and use them in a positive way. No, you know, for sure. I mean, and that, that's so key. You know, I think the issue is, is, you know, we carry so much with us because like when you're younger, right. And you're experiencing anger and these things that you experience in you know, preteens and teenage years and even, even growing up, right. You know, terrible twos are, are a thing (laughs) even, but everyone around you just wants to attack the symptom. They don't want to attack the cause. They're just going to go, Kenny's angry. Let's put him in anger management. Right. And it's like, let's, let's give him a, you know, a drug to calm them down or let's this kid that can't focus, let's give them Ritalin, right? We just want to attack the symptoms. No one wants to attack the causes. Right. You know, nobody wants to go after the source of, well, why is he angry? What's going on at home? You know, what's the last 10 years of his life been like, you know? And, you know, and then that comes out at school when you bug out, right? Or you, you have an incident, you know, and our external world is, is a projection of us, you know, and mm-hmm. our projections are reflections of what's going on within us, you know? And I, saw that firsthand and you know we were in Colorado and I was having an issue because we had a reservation canceled at a campground due to a coronavirus they weren't allowing tent camping because they didn't have public restrooms and mm-hmm. I was trying to call to get a refund and we had to switch our you know switch our reservation and when I called it was like oh you're next in line I was next in line for two hours I stayed on that phone and you know Shannon was doing yoga I wanted to do that but I was trying to get this taken care of and 
you know, after 30 minutes, I was like, oh, I've already invested 30 minutes. You know, I don't want to hang up. And then after an hour, I've already invested an hour. I'm not going to stop. And then after like two hours, they finally answered and I lost service and it cut the phone off. And I just like, I was already so angry that I just like had a flip out. I threw my phone, you know, I cracked the glass. It was a total accident. I didn't try to like hit the rear view mirror, but I did. And I cracked the glass and it was like this moment of like, wow, you know, I, I saw this reflection that I had just projected into my phone and this whole anger outburst because I was upset about other shit that had nothing to do with this. This was just kind of the tipping point, you know, and luckily I stopped in that moment of like throwing my phone and kind of saw myself from the outside looking in like, whoa, mm-hmm. like, wow, that that's something to see, right? You know, because I never really lose my cool, I feel like too much. And the funny part was, is it was in the rear view mirror. So the rest of the time we had that car, every time I looked <laughs> in that rear view mirror, it's what I saw, right? It was a reminder. Um, but you know, all it was, was I, I couldn't blame the phone or blame being on hold. It was the way I was processing it and, and projecting my anger, you know? And so much of us in life, we want to just project. And when you have a ton of shit going on and you're surrounded by stimulation and you're going to work and there's hundreds of people walking around and you have coworkers and traffic and, or the subway or anything, right? It's so easy to project and then pinpoint and go, well, I don't like this person. This person mm-hmm. pissed me off. I got cut off on the way to work. And it's like, mm-hmm. like traffic was just being traffic. <laughs> you know, your people at work were just being themselves is the way that you reacted, which was the issue, right. you know? And when you're stuck at home, quarantine and you have less stimulation, you're going to start to see that those projections don't go anywhere. They just have less places to go. Mm-hmm. So you're still going to feel what you feel inside. You're still going to have a general way of being and you're not really going to understand why because you don't have John at work to to pawn it off on. It's just you and in your four walls or maybe, you know, your significant other or mm-hmm. anything. And you know, we all have bad days even when we're alone. Mm-hmm. And often we just are looking for a scapegoat instead of going internal and figuring out what it really is and seeing what it's actually showing us about ourselves. Which is so crazy that you could spend your entire life missing the mark on that, right? Like going through your entire life where you kind of habitualize yourself into externalizing your emotions. Externalizing and everything. Everything. And then, and, and then you kind of convince yourself that's who you are and your ego goes, I'm not changing for anyone. This is just the way I am, you know? And to a certain extent, Anthony, you know, I feel like there's a component of our psychology that is predetermined from a nature and nurture aspect. Of course, conditioning. Yeah, it's conditioning and also genetics, you know, Mm -hmm. epigenetics. But, you know, I've been reading the book, uh, The Law of Human Nature by Robert Robert Greene. So shout out to him. But, you know, it's interesting how, you know, you can categorize people's personalities in different ways. And, you know, there are some really foundational kind of uh, archetypes that you can kind of pair and and, and start to understand the world better with and also understand yourself better with. But I also don't feel like you are subject to this kind of predestined who of who you are, you know, predestined determination of your personality or something like that. I think there are components of Mm -hmm. you that are kind of melted in. But I, I feel like, you know, we have full control of that depending on how much volition you have to change it um but going back to what you were just saying you know the quarantine it's interesting because you know i I know that we didn't plan on talking too much about the quarantine itself but you know uh i think we should talk about it because you know i think there's a lot of people out there who are kind of taking the opportunity to to do some self-work and you know maybe some people are working 
and they feel like they're missing out on the opportunity. But I think that there's still a lot less stimulation than what you would be dealing with normally. So take the opportunity. And then there's people who have kind of all of the time in the world. But there's also the other side of that where it's like you have this kind of like you know, self-convinced pressure of, oh, I got to do something with this time. And, you know, I think the most productive thing that you can do with your time is get back to you, is get back into that introspective self and kind of reestablish what homeostasis is, or, you know, or I like to call it the zero point, you know, it's, it's, it's neither negative or positive. It's kind of this, this just state of being in which you don't need any type of stimulation to understand how you feel at that moment. It's the practice of almost a meditative self where it's neutral. And so it's important to get back into that position so that you can understand the world a lot better because we understand things based on ourselves, right? So in contrast to ourselves. And so it's easier to recognize a positive thing when you're neutral as opposed to recognizing a positive thing when you're negative. Because when you're negative and you get into the zero point based on that positive input, then you're kind of going into a state of need, right? Mm -hmm. But if you can kind of zero in onto that zero point and kind of get into this consistent zero point where it's almost meditative and you're finding yourself kind of, I don't know, open to all possibilities, whether they're negative or positive and be able to understand how you're going to react to that without necessarily feeling like you need to, you know, kind of tone down or up the ante. So, you know, I think that during this time for myself, I've kind of discovered that. And so I'm almost intimidated, bro. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm almost intimidated to go back into the real world with this new me because, you know, as much as we like to tell ourselves that, you know, we're not influenced by the people around us, we fucking are because, you know, you can be aware of it and you can control how much energy you absorb from people. But at the end of the day, you also don't control all of the sets and settings, right? You don't Mm -hmm. control all of that. So you have to equip yourself with this kind of, you know, this bulletproof energy vest, which is that zero point, you know, that, that homeostasis, that neutrality and kind of equip yourself with the tools in order to manage the real world. But, you know, we're only going to know how it feels until we get back to it. And, you know, so, you know, I think being a little intimidated is completely normal, especially, you know, I watch anime all the time, bro. And I like I watch characters fucking train for three months to fight a character. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like they'll train for three months. They'll meditate for three months and then get back into the zone with this character, you know, when there's that intimidation where you're just like, I don't know how strong the other character got, which is kind of like, you know, let's analogize it to what I'm talking about. It's like, I don't know how much of the world is, you know, ready for this new me, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And so, uh, it's interesting. And, and, and I think it's an experiment in itself. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, and that's a great point. You know, but I, you know, I think the perspective has to be is is it's definitely normal to say I don't know how much of the of my previous interactions and my previous surroundings are ready for this new version of me because I don't feel like I'm coming back the same. But mm-hmm. you know, I think the question we have to ask ourselves is how ready are we to continue being this new person within those old confines? You know, because so often do we want to get around people we used to be around and then our personality shifts back to how we used to be, or you know, it's it's habitual, it's conditioned, right? So it's it's how 
how present can you stay? How, how mindful can you stay? You know, mindfulness and being in the present moment are keys to all things, right? Because if you can be still in the present moment, you, you can have more control over how you react to things. When that person that you used to despise comes in your office, like you can choose to feel that or not. Or even if you can't choose to feel it, you can choose to let it impact you and how you react, right? So it's, you know, how ready are we to, to go back into the stimulated world in a, you know, from a perspective of stillness and just tranquility, you know, and kind of having this homeostasis type mentality of everything that I do is from the present moment and from a quiet state of mind, you know, it's, it's very difficult. And, you know, without even talking about the virus, you know, this quarantine has very much been a microcosm. It's a microcosm for simpler times. You know, it's less resources available, less stimulation, less distraction, less things are at our fingertips, especially in a city like New York, right? When mm -hmm. stimulation is key, you know, the whole point of living in New York is, is convenience and, and access to so many things like at the, at the tips of your fingers. And, you know, this, this microcosm for, for simpler times has just showed us what our lives would be like if we had less externalization, you know, and, and so much of our lives is externalized and, you know, how you were saying, certain mindsets are predetermined and, and certain personalities. And like, yes, you know, some people who have never seen themselves from the outside looking in and everything to them is external and they just think they are this being behind these eyes and everything they experience is internal or external when in reality it's internal. Nothing we experience is external because even our external stimuli, if you will, is, is processed internally, mm -hmm. you know, and this has just showed us what we do when that happens, you know, when you're stuck at home, you're working from home, you got the kids at home, you don't have anywhere to go. You can't pawn off all your responsibilities onto other things. It's how do you deal with them? And, and if anything, you know, it's all internal, mm -hmm. you know, and when you master within, you can then master without, you know, and mastering within is, is without, you know, and it's, it's funny because I know we've talked a lot recently about things being like cliched, you know, mm -hmm. we've, we've cliched valuable things in our society, almost to our own demise, things like, you know, the world within you, you know, or, you know, internal mastery and, mm -hmm. you know, master your mind and, you know, the rest will follow. I right. mean, there's very valuable teachings that we have cliched as a society, you know, and one of those is, you know, starting at home you know, home is where the heart is, right? Like these like cliche things you hear, but they have so much truth because at home, and I, I don't mean your four walls and your, your front door and your dog and your kids. I mean, at home being the center point from which you live, right? Mm -hmm. When you lay down in bed at night and there's nothing else besides you and that pillow, that is, that is home, right? Mm -hmm. When you sit down to meditate and you close your eyes and eliminate all your external surroundings, I mean, that is home. And being able to see the turmoil at home will allow you to see the turmoil without you know, outside of you. And some people found during this, you know, lockdown and this quarantine that they don't like that. People don't like to be stuck with themselves because a lot of people haven't done the self work. Mm -hmm. they, they haven't learned how to hang out with themselves and like themselves enough to not worry about what's going on around them. Most people need external validation. They need external output. They need the opinions of others. They need a group of friends that, that likes them and calls them and texts them or they don't feel like they have any self-worth. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody has started at home and worked their way out. Everybody is working from outside trying to work their way back home and it's, it's almost impossible. You know, it's, it's, that's exactly, you know, First of all, yeah, we, we talked about this the other day at the park and it was interesting because we started to realize that there is kind of like this natural 
human sense to kind of be like a devil's advocate of, of, of like good advice, you know, like we all know that devil's advocate in our Mm -hmm. group that like you can mention anything and they'll side on the other side of that truth just for the sake of argument. And that's a valuable trait to have. It really is. But when we're talking about things that can really help people, you got to question how you're influencing other people's decision-making when you do that. And so I think there's a time and place to be kind of inquisitive. You know, mm-hmm. our boy, Alex, uh, he said something really awesome one time. Uh, he said, don't be cynical, don't be gullible, but always be a little skeptical. Yeah. And so yeah. I find that to be very useful. Going back to the part about cliches, you know, uh, you, like you said, you know, we, we cliched things to, to our own demise. It's like, why would we disregard all of the information that has been recorded in recorded history and completely disregard all of these people who've lived entire lifetimes, written them down in books, gave us the answers and the cheat codes to the game of life, and yet we completely disregard them for the sake of originality. And so we struggle through life kind of trying to find the answers to things. And yet we're at this kind of, you know, this state of suffering, which we can go you know, a little deeper on. But we're in this state of suffering. And, you know, back to the analogy I was talking about earlier, being at that zero point, we put ourselves in the negative. And so our need to externalize things, you know we believe is going to put us back to zero. So if somebody living in New York City who no longer has the nightclub to spend their time and kind of validate themselves through that or, you know, their favorite restaurant to eat at or, you know, hook up with, you know, tons of people because it was easier before or be able to go to work and have like that validation through accolades and, you know, all of that or making money and feeling cool about that. Like, I started to wonder like what happened to all those influencers and Instagrammers who literally just post their ass online mm-hmm. and what the fuck are they doing? They must have come to a real fucking understanding of themselves or at least had to kind of go, okay, what am I left with at the end of the day without yeah. all of these likes? I mean, I'm sure, yeah, you're stuck at home. You could post your ass from home, but you know, people were focusing on a little bit more. And I think, you know, I think this is going to create a society of substance a little bit more. You know, I think that we can look at all of the political movements and, and the societal movements that are happening right now and kind of see that the proof is in the pudding. And, and that's kind of the direction that we're choosing to move into. So I think it was all positive with this quarantine. But back to the cliche piece, you know, I think that we need to start analyzing life a lot more. Um, objectively Mm -hmm. and start to realize that there is so much out there that we can use. There are so much, there are so many older ideas, like very simple foundational ideas like faith. You and I were talking about faith. And so as we transition out of this, you know, religious context of spirituality that society has been living through for thousands of years, and we start to segue into kind of, you know, uh, a lot more freelance uh, religious ideas. Um, and I say freelance religion because, it, you know, you're not subject to one, but you mm-hmm. kind of have all, you know, a little bit of what you like here and there. And I can yep. tell you that's become a lot more prevalent. I think that, you know, people are, you know, jumping to their own conclusions. And I think I think it's important to start to look at these foundational truths and put them together and say, I'm not going to follow you know, of religion, because I think that this is more conducive for me. And so I think that if we can do that, we can kind of, 
get ourselves out of that, you know, that the demise that we've put ourselves in with, with these cliches and these, mm-hmm. and these truths, you know? Um, yeah, man, that's, yeah. I mean, what people don't often don't realize is that the blueprint for success has been laid out for everybody, you know, even those that are trying to pioneer a new lane or trying to come up with something new. There are people who have done something similar that have at least written a roadmap for either what works or what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And everyone's so concerned with their ego and trying to get somewhere originally that they're passing up on all the tools that were left behind by people before them, you know, and just like the blueprint to your genes made you Kenneth and Tiriano at this day, the same blueprint exists for everything you want to achieve. You know, there is a proper combination of action, decision, and thought that will put you exactly where you want to be. Now it may happen differently than you want it to. Mm -hmm. And if you start to view the blueprints left behind, you'll see that these ways are, are abstract. They move in different directions. It's made up of success and failures. It's not all sunshine and rainbows to the top, you know, but the blueprint is there. And especially when it comes to things like, it's funny you say like freelance religion, you know, I'd say like spirituality in general, right? When you become spiritual without the confines of predetermined scripture and religion, it's, you start to come in contact with fundamental truths, right? Things that just are true, right? When you really do the introspection and you really get into the practice and you know if you believe in practicing with psychedelics right you find out people have very similar experiences they come up with very similar ground rules and truths and things that just are true and have been throughout centuries right you read them in buddhist textbooks or you know vedic traditions or different things from back in the day that have become organized religions but outside of those organizations there are fundamental truths that overlap beyond all religions almost right. at certain Which points. Which were also inherited for, from ones prior. Of course, right? And that's the blueprint I'm talking about yeah. is, you know, we're we're humans. We didn't start as a single cell. Like I, Anthony Adio, didn't start as a single cell and go, oh, let me build myself into 30-year-old Anthony Adio that has this length hair and is wearing a green bandana, this and that. Like, no, it just happened over time, yeah. you know? And the blueprint is there. And if you choose to follow it, you can follow it originally and still be original. We're all original and unique in our own way. So if you follow someone else's blueprint to a T and achieve something, it's still going to be your own original achievement following a blueprint that was already there. So the cliching blueprints for the sake of wanting to be original is a detriment to yourself. It's a detriment to society and it does us no good. There's no carrying of the torch. And so like, yeah, that's a really great topic to focus on when we're talking about the cliches. Um, because I think that spirituality in itself has been cliched. So you look at, Absolutely. you look at the trendiness around it. I mean, fuck it. I'd rather, I'd rather spirituality be trendy and clickbaity or hype beastie or whatever word you want to attach to it versus having anything else be a hype beastie culture. Of course. And the reason why I say that is that it promotes this, this kind of, this, this self work, right? It, it, it exposes kind of everything else that we thought to be true and, and, and says, Hey, look at yourself for, for what you are, look at the world for what it is and make your own conclusions, draw your own conclusions. Mm-hmm. And so I think that spirituality has even, be, even been cliched because you talk about spirituality with somebody. It's hard to engage in a conversation with somebody, you know, like a, like a, like a fucking, I don't know, businessman, right? And you talk to them about, you know, 
why you feel so confident in yourself and where that comes from and, and your spirituality and it just completely goes over someone's head. It often does, yeah. you know, try speaking to, you know, my religious mom about it, you know, try talking to somebody about like crystals and, you know, it's just like, it just doesn't, you know, doesn't translate. Yeah. So I think a lot of that has even been cliched because, you know, I'm not the hippiest dude but at the same time, I have a level of awareness and I have a respect for spirituality and, you know, everything that it's brought into my life. And so I don't need somebody else to understand it for it to be true to me. And so I think this is why we cliche things. Well, of course. And I think people cliche things, too, because it's easier to cliche something than to understand it. You know, I, you know, would probably say and in the last couple of years, I've gotten into a pretty what you would call hippie lifestyle, you know, very spiritual, very just trying to understand life and existence and universal laws and things so much that like I, I avoid these conversations with a lot of people who don't seem to be on that wavelength because what you get is you start to talk about something spiritual, spiritual. And as soon as somebody gets a grasp of that's what it is, they just start to like do the whole like, uh-huh. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, I totally get it. I totally get it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And it's like, well, no, you don't, because if you did, you, we wouldn't be having the conversation this way. You know, it would be a little bit more in depth. It'd be a little bit more delicate, a little bit more like, thought provoking and not just, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh yeah. I meditate and I go to yoga. Mm. You know, it's like, that's all fine. And that, that's all fine to be trendy and to be in with the trends and go to Lululemon and go to your yoga three days a week and believe you're spiritual, you know, but depth is, is what you make it, you know, and it's become so cliched that people just think like, oh yeah, like it's this rah, rah thing. And really, you know, to me, it's, it's the study of our existence. It's the study of the present moment. It's what we're doing here. What is our power here from the present moment, you know, and those things shouldn't be cliched because that's life. And, you know, the biggest thing that really like irks me, and especially in times like this, when things are like super sensitive is, you know, you try to go somewhere and like spread positivity and you immediately get met with like this cynical fucking attitude of like, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. You can't just positive your way through through life it's not all love and light right or even my favorite thing i heard recently is oh it's quote unquote toxic positivity <laughs> like i'm sorry but like go fuck yourself you know and like i, I say that wholeheartedly because like if you want to live in rain clouds and thunderstorms your whole life your, yeah you know being spiritual and being positive and i'll, I'll swap positive for optimistic is not a hindrance mm -hmm. to look things to look at things and see a silver lining or to look at things and choose to pick the high road of whatever that is and the way mm -hmm. to look at whatever you're looking at is a gift because i can tell you if you're going to operate from a state of angst or from a state of hope and faith you tell me which one's going to get you better results and even if they garner the same result tell me what's going to get you a more enjoyable process mm -hmm being in angst and anxiety and looking through the negative lens and being pessimistic or having a little bit optimism of what you're doing and even though things may be shitty right now that they will work out mm -hmm. in the long run. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like you tell me what's better for you and you tell me. So for anybody out there who feels like they've been met with these people who are like these anti-positivity police, you know, like you can't listen to that thing, man. Those those people are suffering yeah. and they're, they're, they're externalizing, they're yeah. suffering onto you. And, and experiencing a lot of pain. And, and that's the thing. It's just like they've cliched themselves out of believing that optimism is optimism. I mean, like it's literally it's that's just it. Right. You can choose positive or you can choose negative. 
they're choosing negative, right? So it's it's just interesting how people kind of, like you said earlier, they're a culmination of their experiences, right? Mm-hmm. And it's almost insanity to be choosing the same result, right? And then choosing to say, I can justify these negative emotions instead of putting myself to work and understanding that I'm externalizing these emotions and saying, it's this thing's fault. And I choose to not be positive because I don't have the skill to do so. So everyone around me who wants to be positive and choose a higher route is wrong. And so, you know, that's something that we were talking about the other day is that people feel this need to kind of justify their own beliefs by shutting down other people's. And Mm -hmm. this has really created a fucking stop in the way that we communicate as a society, especially with everything that's going on. I mean, how many people are speaking to be understood, but not to understand and then claiming that they want to be understood, but don't aren't really trying to be understood. Right. They they don't want to be understood because we live in an age where the victim mentality is an all time high. It's a fucking card. It's a, it's 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 a a, card. You can use that. It's a fucking pandemic. Yeah. Like the victim mentality of today of, you know, and I'm not talking anything race related Mm -hmm. or anything going on with like black lives matter, any movements. Like I understand those things are really real, Mm -hmm. but certain people have built their entire identities of just being a victim in life. They're always a victim of their partner, a victim of their parents, a victim of society. And when they go to talk about it, they don't ever want to be talking to somebody who's going to rationalize. They want somebody who's going to nod and accept and validate their identity as a victim. Because when they get into an intellectual conversation and someone starts to want to put a positive spin on it, they don't want to hear it. Why? Because if you're a victim and you are oppressed in Mm -hmm. some way, Mm -hmm. right? If someone works through that with you and lets you understand and see that you're not, and that so much of it is your own personal perspective and the own way, your own way of seeing things, you then lose the identity of being a victim. As soon as somebody can show you that you're not and that you're in control and that you have you know, more power than you think. Like, yes, we are all victim of certain things, but the identity of constantly being a victim in all facets of life mm-hmm. is an identity crisis. And mm-hmm. so many people like it because that way when things get tough, they can stand up and say, I'm a victim. Yep. I'm this, yep. I'm that, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not good enough. This is always happens to me. Oh, when it's rains, it pours. When mm-hmm. it's one thing, it's, oh, it's just a usual day, right? Like people love to live like that because number one, we're, we live in a world of suffering. People are constantly surrounded by suffering. We are suffering machines, right? And transcending suffering is so much of a secret of life, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you want to talk about like Buddhism and, and the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths, right? It's all about transcending suffering and how to be a happier human being. Mm-hmm. People don't want to be, a lot of people don't want to be happier because they, they wouldn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't know where to shift their focus because their whole focus has been in being this character of this victim, mm-hmm. you know? And I just... You know, today's day and age, I just don't have time for that. Yeah. You know, it's it's energy vampires, man. Yeah. You know, and and positivity, you know, like like Tony Robbins says, it's it doesn't mean you walk into a garden and just scream there's no weeds. But you walk into a garden and you realize there are weeds, but you understand that they don't have to be there forever and that you now have the power to remove them and shape that garden however you wish. You know, and it's just two totally different mindsets of two totally different types of people, man. And it's you know, we're we're coming to a reckoning in that because the victim mindset is, is almost coming to a peak, yeah. you know, and you're, we'll see a divide between those who just stop feeling sorry for those who victimize everything. Mm-hmm. And you know, the problem with that too, you want to talk about like cliching is when you get a bunch of people screaming that they're victims of this, that, and the other, and this cancel culture we live in, 
the people who really are victims of really like sad and, and tragic issues get overshadowed, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think we have victimized ourselves to a point of no return in terms mm-hmm. of so many people aren't getting the light they need because everybody wants to stand up and be identified as oppressed, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, it's sad in my opinion. Yeah, no. And, and we're going to piss people off with this opinion too, because it, you're going to lose your victim card on this podcast. You know, there's, we, we just, the way that I look at it, Anthony is, you know, we're, we're going through the oppression wars and you can apply that to whatever, whatever form of oppression we're talking about. But a simple example is saying, you know, I'm having a really, I'm having a really hard time with, I don't know, making ends meet. And then someone saying, well, there's people in Africa who aren't eating, you know, it's just like this continuous perpetuation of oppression for kind of giving people perspective of this like this pain and so I don't think that we're analyzing our own problems enough and we're expecting people to kind of you know over empathize you know and Mm -hmm. so like the work is to be done by us you know I wrote um I wrote a post a couple weeks ago Um, in light of some of the things that were happening and, you know, it was along the lines of, you know, growing up, growing up in the hood, um, I grew up in the projects, you know, in the Bronx, uh, single mom, you know, three brothers just trying to like make ends meet. And so something that I quickly realized was that you can be a product of circumstance or you can be a product of your decisions. And that's essentially what we're talking about today. And so when you look at the game of life, you start to realize that there are parameters, there are rules in the game of life. And if you look at the game as a game and start to understand that you can win by following the rules and not throwing up your hands and saying, oh shit, I'm a victim, I lost because of this, right? Mm -hmm. Or I'm not getting what I want because of this. Instead, learning the game to change the game is really important. And so what I wrote on the post was, you know, when I was eight years old, I actually learned how to play chess. And so before the age of 10, I was a national chess champion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and you're talking about somebody who grew up in the projects, you know, they went to a shitty school, but, you know, I found out that there was a way out. And so what I did was I maximized the opportunity. I studied my fucking ass off. I went to school early in the morning to practice chess. I practiced during lunch and then I practiced after school. I did chess tournaments every Saturday until I was able to basically become a national champion in two years. Um, And so basically what I'm trying to say is that a game like chess teaches you that there are rules, there are restrictions, but when you understand the rules, you could really display your skill and your ability to overcome any challenge by playing within the parameters of that. That's where your real skill comes into play. Mm -hmm. And this is where you learn respect for the game. And so whether that's the game of whatever business that you're in, whatever, whatever you're dealing with in real life, you can win the game. Stop throwing your hands up and knocking the pieces off the board because you're upset about the outcome or the circumstance. Learn how to win. Understand the parameters and don't cliche your way out of understanding things, right? That's like me saying, you know, the D4 opening is cliche. It's a queen's pawn opening. It's too aggressive. You know, fuck it, right? Like, you know, that's that's me just trying to, anal- you know, make an analogy out of it. But it's just we kind of 
victimize ourselves into not choosing a better route. And so mm-hmm. anytime I have any hesitation about something happening to me, I try to understand that it's happening for me. And I try to understand that this is something for me to learn and overcome. And if I lose, I got a lesson. If I win, I win. That's it. Absolutely. And I mean, look, if you take an L, you can blame the coach, you can blame the refs, you can blame whoever you want, or you could take it back to the drawing board and have an opportunity to learn. You know, there's two different mindsets. It's the victim or someone who's being progressive and is going after it and they're taking everything in stride and learning from the challenges, you know, adversity and perseverance, right? Other things that are cliched Mm -hmm. in our society, right? I mean, there's real things like real weight to that, to having tenacity and, you know, perseverance and, and really sticking with something, seeing it through, you know, surviving adversity and being better because of it, not just going through adversity and then just crumbling because of adversity, you know? And it's, it's funny because you said like we could make, you know, piss a lot of people off with this. And, you know, I can tell you firsthand that, you know, we're not here to piss anybody off, but at the same time, we're not here to not piss anybody mm-hmm. off. You know, what I found later in life is that usually the unpopular opinion is usually the honest perspective, mm-hmm. you know, and honest perspectives can sometimes be a really unpopular opinion. And usually that falls on the ego because if you can look at something and say, oh, I don't like how that's phrased because mm-hmm it makes me feel a certain way about the way I do things. Well, maybe that's a mirror check. Yeah. You know, maybe that's when you go, wow, well, okay, what does that say about me? Because if I say something and it pisses you off, I just said something. Yeah. If it pissed you off, well, maybe that's something you need to think about. I'm challenging you know? your faith. If that, if, if your faith in something is that shallow, yeah. that if I have a, an opinion on something that challenges it and you have to immediately, you know, hate me for it, then you don't believe it strong enough because you need other people to justify your beliefs. And this goes back to the externalization, right? This goes back to not having that. And so this is this continuous kind of feedback loop that we've been going through, you know, and, and, and I can, and I'm saying this from experience. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not playing like I got, you know, all the answers ever, but I know this from experience because once you start to really hit that meditative state, get to that neutrality point, you start to realize that shit, man, I was letting a lot of shit control my emotions. I was letting a lot of shit justify my beliefs. You know, if if I didn't believe in something that maybe somebody I look up to didn't believe in, right, then can I can I validate it still? Can the, If that person doesn't validate how I feel about something, should I still be feeling that, you know, that feeling about it? And so like, that's so interesting, right? Like even our, our, our microcosm of friends, you know, if your friends aren't validating, you know, how you feel about something, you know, the music that you like or the food that you enjoy, you know, are you going to continue doing it? I experienced that when I went vegan for four years, everyone I fucking spoke to was like, dude, you're bugging. Yeah. I work in the fitness industry. You know how many mm-hmm. bodybuilders I'm around every day? Yeah. Do you know do you know how many people were like, dude, you were way bigger. What happened? Get off that vegan shit. Yeah. I didn't need those people to validate what I believed in at that time. And yeah, I cycled off of it because I decided that I learned a lot of discipline through it and that it's gonna carry on through life and that I needed a different option for my nutrition. But that was it. No one, no one's opinion swayed my belief yeah. in it. And so, yeah. you know, that's a good example on how we need to operate, you know, when, when it comes to what, what is sitting at home, like you said earlier, what is at home, right? What's, what's true without a shadow of a doubt to you enough that 
if someone comes into the room challenging it, you, number one, don't feel offended by them challenging it. Two, you're ready to speak and have an opinion about it and listen to someone else's opinion about it. And three, not need other people to validate it to be true. Well, absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head with with the vegan lifestyle, right? Because vegans have been very cliched, right? You see jokes about it everywhere. But it's funny because when you really sit down and talk to a vegan about their beliefs, they come from some really deeply rooted, truthful mm-hmm. places, man, about the value of life and just you know existential value, if you will, on on everything, right? And how other things don't need to suffer and die for me to eat, and you know, there's there's layers to that. But the bottom line is, is the belief runs deeper than other people's opinions or what other people think, you know. And it's if there's anything I think we want to leave you with today as we wrap this up is to start thinking how deep your personal truths and your beliefs run. And is it rude enough internally that your external world can just pass by without making you question what you believe? Because if you're questioning your beliefs, and I don't mean to be questioning your beliefs from a sense of just questioning because I'm a personal believer that you should question everything you believe just in terms of seeing how Mm -hmm. true it really sits when you put pressure on it. But that's how you develop if it's true or not. If it's true or not, you know? So if you're truths aren't rated deeply enough that you're not constantly questioning them in terms of, oh, well, this person said this, so maybe I should rethink my life. Maybe it's time to start thinking about some some more deeply rooted truths or just to start thinking about what in your life is true and what beliefs you believe because you truly believe them, not because you think the world thinks you should believe them, but because the people around you. So. You know, I think as we, we wrap this up, the last thing I want to leave you with is that all of this comes from a place of pure love mm-hmm. is an honest perspective just from the streets of New York City. And and yeah, I mean, that's it. Yeah, brother, I couldn't agree more. It comes from a place of love. Um, at the same time, you know, our podcast is exactly what we were just talking about. These are things that we believe. We continuously ask these questions. We are we allow ourselves to change our minds and allow ourselves to challenge what we believe on a con on a consistent basis so that we can then evolve and continuously sharpen our understanding of the world, understanding of other people and understanding of ourselves. And that's really what this is all about. So thanks for joining us today, guys. Really appreciate you joining. This is Kenny and Anthony signing off. Peace. Peace.